I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Cameron Parker, model, TV personality, and philanthropist. With her life on a very public stage, Cameron Parker held a secret that only a few were privy to. In January 1998, Cameron was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. The decision was made not to say anything to anyone other than her family. Understanding this diagnosis could potentially end her career. Cameron needed every modeling job possible to pay for her continued care and drug therapy. In 2009, she made the decision to go public with her private battle and is now a powerful celebrity voice in patient advocacy for MS and treatment. She's walked the runway for designers like Vera Wang, Giorgio Armani, and Bagley Mishka, and has made appearances on Good Morning America, The Today Show, The View, and more. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Cameron. Thank you. It's delighted to be here. Model, TV personality, and philanthropist. <laughs> That's a lot of uh, a lot of titles, I guess, right? Um, so a lot we... of titles, but well earned. <laughs> well earned titles. Okay, let's <laughs> let's start with that. Well earned titles, right? So you're a model. You're this girl, and I have a picture of you in front of me. A beautiful, beautiful face, beautiful body, and that. You're trying to picture that with multiple sclerosis, right? And we have an image of what that means, most of us do. So talk to us about that. You start out as this beautiful model. This is your career. You're making money. Everything is, I assume, going quite well. And then you get this diagnosis. Well, and how I was diagnosed was very, very strange. Uh, I was actually working in Los Angeles, which is where my home was at the time, and Myself and three other models, we were assigned uh, on set. We showed up, and within 24 hours, all of us were rushed to various hospitals throughout Los Angeles. With We had contracted something. And once we were all in the hospital and going through all of our things, all of us had contracted meningitis. Uh, so that is not a fun thing to acquire. And uh, the neurologist that was assigned to my case actually said, you know, there's a few things in all of your test results. I want to make sure that the meningitis has left your body um, for some more extensive testing. So fair enough. Uh, so went in for the, you know, more testing that he thought I had. And, of course, he asked me several remaining questions. Was I tired? And, of course, I had some great answers for him. I'm, Of course, I'm tired. I'm on and off airplanes. I'm jumping from show to show or from set to set. Yeah, I might be a little bit fatigued. Okay, no problems. Uh, did I trip? Did Or, you know, did I experience any tripping? And as a model, we always blame it on the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. uh, so I I said, well, have you seen the shoes I have to walk a runway in? It may happen. And all of us, we, it's the shoes. It's not us. It's, you know, it may happen, but no big thing. Did I have numbness? Well, there's not a lot of uh, assets on the derriere. So I might have a little bit of tingling, numbness. My legs happen to fall asleep. So sure, all of these, in my mind, were perfectly fine answers and... Uh, literally coming back in, he calls me and he says, I need you to come down to my office and 
Now, I still can hear his voice in my head uh, when he looked across the desk and said, uh, all of your results with everything here, you have multiple sclerosis. And the silence and the dagger that just went through my heart uh, was, for lack of a better word, paralyzing. Because I looked at him and I just said, you've just signed my death warrant. To sign my death warrant. As a model, I don't have medical insurance. I'm an independent contractor. So I started running numbers very quickly in my head thinking, how am I going to pay for this disease? Um, one of my drugs alone was $65,000 a year. One drug. One drug. And so this $65,000 a year, no one, most people, let's say 99% of us can't pay $65,000 a year for one drug. Um, Correct. And, and so running these numbers and thinking, how am I going to pay for this? Because I'm not only going to have this, I'm having this for the rest of my life. Did you, can I backtrack a little, when he came and he mm -hmm. told you that you had multiple sclerosis and he's asking you all these questions, you know, the tripping, the numbness, all of those kinds of things. Did you, like, before this incident with meningitis Mm -hmm. happened, Mm -hmm. did you have any sense that maybe things weren't quite right and that you sort of denied them or repressed them because obviously it's not something you want to acknowledge or was it a total surprise? Oh, no. I... I had probably symptoms for maybe 18 months that I started realizing that they were symptoms. But as oddly as they came on, then they would oddly go away. And uh, the type of multiple sclerosis that I was diagnosed with is relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. So it waxes and wanes. And we want to stay, we want to keep it in remission, which is uh, what, when a drug therapy comes into play. So when I was diagnosed, I, uh, there were three approved uh, drug therapies. And if anybody was diagnosed uh, with multiple sclerosis uh, in 1993 or before that, there were none. And today we now have 17 disease-modifying drug therapies available with a couple more that are up and coming in the pipeline. So I've seen an evolution as far as the disease and treating the disease, but the very scary thing about multiple sclerosis is that no two patients are alike. Um, We may have common symptoms, but I can't tell you why today I can walk a runway and tomorrow I'll be in a wheelchair. I can't tell you why, nor can my doctors. (laughs) And we want to keep my MS basically in a remission. And when I have all of these signs and these symptoms, that means I'm in relapse and they can, it can last anywhere from a week, a month, a couple months. One never knows. So how does that play into your career? Because as you say, one never knows. You're always, I mean, not knowing is always scary, I think, in any situation. And then you don't know when you're going to be, as you say, in a wheelchair or walking on a runway. How do you incorporate that into your work and what you do? Because you don't have any warnings, or I'm assuming you don't have any warnings that you're going to go into relapse. You, You don't have any warnings. You are correct. And... 
So what had happened, you know, through all of this was a, a giant, I want to say, you know, the fashion and beauty industry is full of secrets. They only let you see what you want to see as a consumer, what you need to see as a consumer. So um, keeping the secret in all of the cities uh, that I was in, I would sneak out of my hotel, get to a hospital, have my drug therapy treatment, get back to my hotel with nobody seen and nobody catching me. And the side effects, too, from the drug are it's like having the flu. Well, uh, I don't want to say this, but it, it's kind of, I look back at it now kind of funny where a lot of times if I'm traveling on a plane and it might be a couple of us models jumping to another show or something, they are recovering from a hangover and I was recovering from something else. So they <laughs> thought I was recovering with a hangover with them, <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> so that's how I was able to hide that. And I just made it work. I never complained. I did things um, if I was unsteady on my feet, all of the classic symptoms. And fortunately, uh, my, my relapses at the very beginning of, when, of my diagnosis, they, they weren't lasting at, for long periods of time. So I could book out. That's the term that we use in, in the industry is book out. And we would go through that. But I didn't know what was going to be affected, which is the scary thing. And as a model, you know, you're a liability on set. And so word could not get out that I had this disease. Uh, it would have crushed my career. Absolutely. Nobody would have hired me. They, will, they would say, well, there's no guarantee she's going to be well. And I... But at some point you decided, I'm going to go public with this. I can't. And I'm also thinking about what you're talking about, running out and going to the hospital and coming back and taking your medication and the side effects of that. The stress, which, as I understand it, which is true of any disease, but particularly yeah. chronic diseases, I mean, that makes it worse. It exacerbates it if you're because you're spending all that energy hiding and that too oh, is a real <laughs> negative. Of, uh, so of yeah, course. so oh, of what happened? Like I can't do this anymore, or I don't want to. So what did happen? When did you decide to go public, and why? So the reason why uh, I had trusted. So I will backtrack just a little bit. Um, in December of 2002, I had gotten married, and uh, lo and behold, I had medical insurance for the very first time. And so I didn't have to hustle. I didn't have to bounce from plane to plane, and I could have somewhat of life. And I was slowing down a little bit in my career, and uh, I had trusted uh, some very, very close, tight friends with my secrets. And uh, in attending charity events, I just, there would be times where, you know, I would be in relapse and I didn't want my MS ever questioned, um, i.e., did I, I didn't want to be perceived as drunk at a charity event, um, falling down, uh, you know, tripping, my arm just falling, you know, dropping a drink, things like that. So my friends had basically kind of surrounded me and said, look, we, we have this great journalist that this is kind of her thing. And she would love to write your story. You have a very powerful story. And I 
molded over and molded over. And I thought, you know, I think it's time. I think, I think everybody has a journey in their life and whether they want to tell it or not, it's up to them. Um, I think it's time. I, and how I came to this conclusion was I wanted my talk to be as authentic as my walk. So I trusted this journalist with um, my journey. She came uh, and was with me for a week. She saw uh, me go through my drug therapy treatment, um, the overnight side effects, the side effects the next day. She was witnessed it all. And the piece uh, was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Number one, the magazine sold out. Number two, and something I wasn't prepared for, was that it was a very informative piece, but it wasn't a feel sorry for me piece. It was showing a profile and courage. You have to get up and not give up. And I always say that it's a choice. You either give up or you get up. And with going forward with this piece, the letters, the cards, the text messages, the emails were thousands and it went worldwide and it, this was support. This was amazing saying, we are so proud of you. Thank you so much for sharing this story. And it gives me courage to face whatever I'm facing. And whether someone decides to tell their employer that they have MS or not, it's up to that individual. If they, if they feel that they're, something is going on, you can't get inside their heads with that. It's, it's I have a question. Is there a lot of discrimination? Journey. I mean, I know there, you know, if tell, obviously one's job is, is, is important, is key. And so um, mm-hmm. what, what happens, I mean, well, can, uh, in terms of discriminating against people who have MS or in a work situation, I know there are many different kinds of uh, works, you know, environments, sure. but um, is discrimination uh, a huge issue? I mean, you know, yours is a special um, industry. You know, you're supposed to obviously yeah, exactly. beauty modeling. Yeah. So uh, at the time when I was diagnosed, private insurance, there was a big disclaimer as far as pre-existing conditions. That was the biggest hang up as far as telling anything. And people had a perception. Um, the only people that really were like in the forefront of having MS at, at, on my initial diagnosis was Richard Pryor. Um uh, let's see, uh, uh, Anita, uh, she was orange juice. I, her name is escaping me and I always know yeah. her name. Um, and so, and then, you know, Terry Gar came out and, uh, kind of, it was very, very rare. And sadly with all three of those, uh, they, their MS had progressed to secondary, uh, progressive. Um, and as far as discrimination, there isn't. However, there are numerous times and, uh, you know, well, you don't look sick. So the, it, my invisible MS is right now the campaign that the National MS Society is really behind because just because I'm not with a walker, a cane or a wheelchair right now does not mean my MS doesn't exist. Um, so there's the discrimination right there. Well, you don't look at, or I'm questioning your, your MS diagnosis. Well, nobody can tell that I've had two 
extreme eye surgeries. I've had two MS-related cataract surgeries that I've had to have uh, lens replacement in both of my eyes done. Um, No one sees me the day after a runway show when I'm utterly exhausted and can barely lift my head. None of those things are out in the public. So the invisible signs, the outward invisible signs of MS, I think right now, overall, is the biggest discrimination. I really do. Meredith Vieira's husband has MS, Richard Cohen. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's one of those. But in a wheelchair, yeah, but he's... He's in a wheelchair and, um, you know, when it's, we can't, doctors are perplexed by it saying by the time you're in a wheelchair, you know, there's, there's not, I hate to say this, it, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. You just don't want to be in relapse the entire time, which is basically secondary progressive. And uh, by changing the face, I always like to say this, by changing the face of MS, uh, I want people to understand that you can, it, the invisible signs of MS, the invisible symptoms of MS are just as powerful as sitting in a wheelchair. Do you encourage people? Because I think one of the things is um, that I, I sort of touched on or asked you earlier is like to when you mm-hmm. begin to experience these kinds of symptoms that you experience, like try to rec- because if you recognize them early and get it and and go to a, and 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 uh, get medical attention, is that better in terms of prognosis rather than waiting until some crisis occurs, or does it not necessarily make a difference? A lot of times people don't recognize the symptoms. I, I will tell you, um, I'm tripping, I'm fatigued. They can write it off. They can justify it. They can not take it, you know, and just say, oh, this is just happening. Oh, it's gone away. And there's a lot of times where MS may or may not um, be diagnosed right away. It's kind of a, a diagnosis of exclusion. <laughs> okay, we've tested for this. We've tested for X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you go in for an MRI and you're looking for the lesions uh, up and down spinal cord and on the brain as far as uh, the myelin um, scarring that's, that's occurred that shows up with the disease. And, you know, one of the things I take personal offense to is when someone says, I'm in flare. I don't, I honestly, in my since having the disease since 1998, I've never said I'm in flare or I'm in exacerbation. I think those are two big encyclopedia words. Um, you can say I'm in relapse, I'm in remission. Those are kind of the proper technology, you know, technical terms I want to say. Um, but, you know, if a person goes in, you've got to go in to see a neurologist that specializes in multiple sclerosis. If you have a neurologist that says, I think it might be MS. They're going to refer you to a specialized, you know, a doctor with a specialty um, and specializes in MS. A lot of neurologists recognize it and can see it. They may not treat it, but one of their colleagues or contemporaries will. Okay, so that's key. What about hereditary? Is there a her- I know that there's been 
as I recall, for a while, Mm -hmm. they would say that there is no hereditary component. But now it seems to me, at least what I read, that they are the medical community or scientific community talks about the fact Mm -hmm. that there is a hereditary component. What about in your case? There. Um, so in my case, there's zero MS hereditary, and there's still, uh, you know, there's still, there's some patterns. They're saying that um, there's no evidence that it's directly inherited. It occurs in almost every eth- ethnical group, uh, and it really, truly, it's it, there hasn't been scientific proof that it's hereditary. It is odd. Um, I think the Osmonds um, have some direct lines with uh, hereditary MS. Uh, It is very, very strange. What people sometimes forget is that multiple sclerosis is both an autoimmune and a neurological disease. And uh, it's, you know, it's, over 2.3 million people worldwide have MS. That's staggering. That's staggering. And those are the ones that are diagnosed, and we have to assume there's probably a whole group of more people who are not diagnosed, Correct. who never get treatment Correct. Um, when we're talking about worldwide. So the numbers are probably much even mm-hmm. much higher than that, right? Exactly. And over 75% of new diagnoses are women over 75%. And usually the diagnosis as far as an age group happens anywhere. They've now lowered the number to in their 20s all the way up to their 50s for the initial diagnosis. For a long time, it was really kind of in a 30 to 40 age group. But now uh, the scientists and data is proving that anywhere from 20 to 20-year-olds to 50-year-olds, there has actually been some cases of children now being diagnosed, a few cases um, under the age of 18. I think it's um, anywhere, there's an estimated anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 children worldwide under the age of 18 that live with MS. And just recently, there's been a, a study that said that people as old as 75 have developed it. So, so we have better diagnostic factors. tools, as I would seem to me, is what you're yeah. saying. Because now, yeah, we can, we have, which is good, uh, because then you can mm-hmm. begin, you know, you can do treatment. But when you talk about women, it sounds that women have proportionately are diagnosed with MS much at a much higher rate than men. Is that? Yeah. Uh, but the ethnicity across all ethnic groups, is oh, that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Uh, including African-American, Asians, Hispanic, Latinos, um, it's more common in you know, Caucasians of basically, I think, Northern European um, descent. Uh, that's, that's kind of what the data is showing right now. From that. We have a couple minutes. So, we only have a couple minutes left. You're you're just loaded yes. with information, and and really <laughs> appreciate that, um, Cameron Parker. That's who we've been talking to. Model TV personality, philanthropist, diagnosed with MS. Mm-hmm. Give us because um, um, we have reached the end. We have a couple minutes, as I said. So, information. Where can we get it? Um, about what you're doing, obviously, you're out there, and then mm-hmm. uh, maybe some websites we can go to as well for more information about you MS bet. and treatment. So yeah. any, uh, we'll get out the information about MS. Always um, go to the nationalmssociety.org. They have loads and loads and loads of um, 
facts and figures and help and um, support groups. That is, that's your first step is going and visiting that website. As far as I'm doing, I mentioned um, you either give up or you get up. I'm making a difference every single day. It's a choice. Um, I am changing the face of MS uh, when I go and speak and raise money for uh, MS uh, groups across the country, across the globe. Um, I don't charge a speaker's fee when I do this because I don't want to profit off my disease. My life now depends on a cure, so I also donate. I write a check um, to give back in every community that I'm in because I want to help those MS patients. So um, without everything, I always, I always say this, you either give up or get up. It is a choice. It, it, every single day, the chance of always getting up is there. It's when you give up, that chance is gone. You've, in order to do something you've never have done, you've got to do something you've never done before. So you can can end on that one. That's great. I mean, you're doing fantastic work, obviously. And thank um, you, Cameron Parker, thanks so much for being (laughs) on the show and sharing all of that information and uh, sharing your story. Obviously Um, we'll be looking for you. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks. Yeah. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox show. (laughs) 